So today we're going to be looking uh, at the message to the church in Philadelphia. Now as a kid, I loved reading the book of Revelation because it's got dragons and beasts with multiple heads and all these cool things, right? Um, But I was always super confused when I got to reading about these seven different churches because most of them have very foreign-sounding names, right? So you have Smyrna and Thyatira and Laodicea. And then I'd be like, wait, Philadelphia? Um, and so I was always confused because I was trying to figure out, like, well, I know, where, I know where Philly's at. You know, that's just over in Pennsylvania, right? Um, you know, I, kn- I knew it was one of the first cities in the United States, but I didn't realize it was that old to be included in the Bible. Um, and so I was like, well, maybe, you know, Jesus is speaking to the future here, and he knew there would be a church in Philadelphia someday. Um, but eventually, um, probably when I got to college, who knows, um, I did figure out that it is an ancient city in what is now present-day Turkey. Um, but it, it makes me laugh because I'm not quite for sure how I lucked out to get Philadelphia. Um, because not only is it uh, the a positive message from Jesus in this passage of Scripture, um, but it's probably the easiest city to pronounce. Um, so thank you, Mike, for that. Um, but so again, this week we're going to be looking, talking about what Jesus had to say to the church in Philadelphia, um, which the main idea of this is patient endurance. Now, I was trying to think, and one of the times in my life where I had to have patient endurance um, when I was at Six Flags in St. Louis. Now, I don't know if many of you have ever been to a theme park or an amusement park or anything like that, but I'm sure most of you know where I'm going with this already. Um, so it was the summer after eighth grade, um, my church partnered with another church, and we were going down to CIY, but before we got there, we went to St. Louis and spent a day at Six Flags. Um, and I, I love roller coasters. Um, I love the rolling and the flipping and the turning so hard that you nearly pass out. Um, but one of the biggest pains about roller coasters is waiting in line, right? It's one of the biggest pains is the line, you know? And it got to the point where now, if you want to spend an extra $100, you can get the fast pass and you skip the line because people know that they hate it. Um, but the waiting in line is awful. But there was this one coaster at Six Flags that I really wanted to ride. And it was this Batman-themed ride, okay? And I, I'm a nerd. You already know this. And so naturally, I, I want to go on the superhero-themed ride. Um, but this, this roller coaster was awesome because you go and you sit down and, you know, the bars come down. But then what it does is it picks up and there's no bottom, to it. And so as you're riding it, your feet are just dangling as it's whipping you around corners and stuff. And so, you know, you feel like your legs are going to smack a support bar or something and you're desperately trying to keep your shoes on, um, which is funny because I met a guy um, a couple years ago. Uh, well, yeah, a couple years ago who used to work at the Six Flags in St. Louis who said they'd find shoes all over the park from that ride. Um, But the problem about this ride uh, was the fact that I wasn't the only one excited to ride it. And so it had a massive line. It had a huge line. It could easily take two hours to get through. Now, I am not a patient person at all. My wife knows this. I'm not patient, right? So if I'm at home and I have to cook myself a meal, if it's going to take me more than 15 minutes to cook it, I just won't eat. Um, And so frozen pizzas are my best friend. Um, So having the patience to wait in line is hard enough for me. But throw on the fact that this is late July in the afternoon on a sunny day. 
It was probably 95 degrees out that day without including the heat index. It, you know, it was one of those days where you go swimming and you get out of the pool and it feels like you're never drying off because you just naturally switch from the pool water to sweating. You know, that, that was the type of day it was when I was waiting in line for this roller coaster. And so not only would you have to endure that, but there's naturally the other things when waiting in line for a roller coaster, like the people who stand awkwardly too close, and so you, like, move up, and they, they like, move with you, and it's like, I'm trying to get away from you. Um, or, um, you, know, the, you know, back then I didn't have a cell phone, and so it's, you know, what do I do for two hours as I'm standing in line here? Um, I, think, I don't think I had a friend in line with me at that point, and so I was either going to have to meet a stranger or just sit there and twiddle my thumbs. Um, or probably the most frustrating thing is when you've been waiting in line for an hour, and all of a sudden you realize that you really have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> You're like, no. And so then it's like, do I ask someone to hold my spot in line and go through that whole ordeal, or do I get out of line, or do I just wait and and hope the roller coaster doesn't make me go to the bathroom. You, know, you just never know. Um, but the question that I was facing is, you know, you know I want to go on this ride, but is it worth waiting in line for? Well, the church in Philadelphia had to ask themselves the same question. So if you turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, uh, I'll be starting in verse 7. So starting in verse 7, it says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those that are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming to, to come on the whole world to attest the inhabitants of the earth." I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the name of the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the church in Philadelphia is this uh, small, poor group who are being tormented uh, by this local synagogue. And these, these Jews at the synagogue are denouncing Christianity, and they're trying to exclude the Christians in Philadelphia. And this is why Christ talks about himself basically being the doorman of heaven. As you see in his death, Christ died for both the Jews and the Gentiles. And he opened the door for both these groups of people. And many Jews were very frustrated about this inclusion of the Gentiles. And so what the synagogue is trying to do is shut the door to the Christians in Philadelphia. 
but Christ is reminding that these Christians, uh, that these Jews don't hold that type of power, that they aren't the ones in charge of checking people's height to go on a ride. I mean, can you imagine being at a theme park and you're waiting in line just like everybody else, and the guy behind you taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, hey, you need to get out of line. You're not tall enough for this ride, even though... Like, yeah, well, yeah, I am tall enough, and even if I wasn't, it's not really your job, so I'm just going to stand here more. Um, But, you know, that is basically what these Jews are trying to do to these Christians. You know, Christ is the worker at the front who's deciding who can ride and who can't, and nobody else can make that decision. And this is something that we desperately have to understand. Nobody but Jesus is the one who decides if we are tall enough to go on to the ride of eternity. The trouble is that that it doesn't always look like it did um, for the the Christians in Philadelphia. You know, these Jews are trying to exclude them. But maybe for us, it's, it's someone telling us that we aren't doing enough. You know, maybe it's another Christian telling us, you know, hey, you're not doing enough in your faith. You know, You're not donating enough to charity. You're not volunteering your time enough. You're not putting your kids in enough church activities. Maybe it's it's an atheist that you know in your life. And they're trying to convince you that the, the, the ride that you're waiting in line for doesn't even exist. Right? And they're trying desperately to convince you of that. And sometimes I think that person is ourself. We continually doubt if we are tall enough for the ride. That when we get to the front of the line, if we'll measure up. Or it's the doubts that that flood our mind if waiting in line is really worth it in the end. And so what Jesus is telling the Christians in Philadelphia is that nobody can shut the door that Jesus has opened. It doesn't matter what anybody else says because Jesus is going to be the judge in the end. Our job Our job is to not take that job upon ourselves, but our job is to wait in line, patiently enduring whatever will come our way. And sometimes this is the hardest thing to do, especially in a world uh, just wrought with pain and suffering. The last couple weeks have been extremely hard on our nation. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we had the hurricanes that hit the coast, and and then this last week with the, the mass shooting in Las Vegas, and there have been some other things that have been going on as well. And, and, and these are just examples of some horrifically saddening things taking place in our world right now. But on top of those things, you know, you probably have your own things going on in, at, at home. Whether it's financial troubles, family drama, we've all got it. Uh, friends or family that aren't well. Stress at work, maybe your marriage is struggling or, or one of your children is struggling with something. And in the middle of all this waiting in line for the ride of eternal life, we can get pretty impatient, right? A lot of times our natural prayer is to call out to God, can you just come back sooner? Like, tomorrow would be great. And so when we are going through a challenging time, the last thing on our mind is often patience. You know, that's the last thing we want to think about is being patient when we're going through something hard. We might endure, but not patiently. But what happens when we get impatient is we don't handle things well. 
right? Have you ever seen a young child who gets impatient? It's not a pretty sight. (laughs) But when we get impatient and wish something is over, we miss opportunities. Impatience causes us to, to miss some opportunities that we might have uh, and so for example of this, Paul had a, had a pretty good mindset about this. And so in Philippians 121, I'll just read this. Paul says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Paul understood this mindset of enduring patiently. He knew that if it came to the point of death, that he'd be able to go on to the ride uh, of, and the coaster of eternal life with God and in all his glory. But Paul also understood that while he was on this earth, he had a purpose. Paul found himself in some really awful situations. Um, Probably situations that we'll never find ourselves in, hopefully. Um, And at one point, he was in prison, right? And he could have had this mentality of, of enduring impatiently, right? He could have been impatient while in prison. He could have spent all day asking God to deliver him from jail. Like, hey, God, can you just make this over? Can you just make this over? You know, uh, Rick talked about in the communion meditation where Paul asked for the, the thorn to be delivered from his side. And, and when, while he was in jail, he instead, he endured patiently and used the opportunity to share the gospel uh, with, a, with a guard who was working there who would hear the message And he would devote his life to Christ along with the rest of his family. Because you see, in the wake of some of the worst tragedies, there are amazing opportunities for the gospel to spread. In the wake of some of the worst tragedies, there are amazing opportunities for the gospel to spread. And this truth goes for both the things that happen around us in the world and the things that happen personally to us in our life. You know, our our church... Uh, spread the gospel following Hurricane Harvey. You know, we partnered with some other churches and we filled uh, three different trailers to send down for, full of supplies for victims. I have a friend uh, from college who works at a church in Las Vegas. Uh, and they are setting up numerous things to help those affected by the shooting. Uh, last week they, had, they held a vigil um, at their church and hundreds of people attended this event. Uh, even, you know, Pastor Mike and some of my other friends from college, um, as you probably have heard, um, were in Nepal when the earthquake hit. You know, they had an amazing opportunity in the midst of hardship to spread the gospel. And you can look at many other events where in the wake of tragedy, the gospel still had a chance to, to grow, for the kingdom of God to spread. But how can we in our own daily struggles, and our own daily hardships, endure patiently and find the opportunities for the gospel. Um, like I said earlier, I can be a very impatient person. Um, I also, like most people, hate conflict. I do. I don't like conflict. And so naturally, my normal reaction when there is something to address with someone is just to avoid it. Right? I'm just, you know, maybe if I just ignore this for long enough, it'll go away. Um, not usually the case, if you're wondering. Um, my sophomore year of college, I worked at the library in, at the college. And if you want to know, easiest job ever. This is the best thing ever. I occasionally had to reshelve books. Otherwise, I was doing homework or playing games on my laptop. Um, but the thing was, my boss took the job extremely seriously. Like, 
extremely seriously. And so um, when I had first started working there, um, another staff member of the school had come down to the library to talk to me. And it's not like we were talking loud. We were whispering, and he was just filling me up on some things because I was a part of student government. Um, and, and my boss comes up and asks him to leave the library so I can focus on my work, which then proceeded to me sitting there staring at a wall as I waited for something to do. Um, but he took the job extremely seriously. And so I and the other um, workers um, who had covered the desk, uh, we took turns on weekends, covering the weekends. And so it was my weekend to work, but I forgot. I forgot, and I showed up three hours late. Now, the thing about the library is I was the only one working that day, um, but the thing about the library was it has automatic locks on the doors, so as soon as the time for it to open hits, the doors automatically unlock. So that whole time I was gone, that three hours I was gone, the library was unlocked and open, and anybody could come in and out, and we don't have cameras or anything. And so, you know, so I get there, and I see this, and it immediately throws me into a panic. Like, oh my gosh, my boss is going to kill me. Um, and so I immediately went and checked the whole place. You know, I, I tried to see if anything was stolen, but with thousands of books, you know, it's like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> um, and so then I was faced with this decision. Do I tell my boss? You know, as long as nothing's really missing, I could probably get away with not telling him. And it would really be the easy thing to do, you know, because then I don't have to worry about him getting mad at me and going through maybe possibly yelling or I don't know what would have happened. Um, and so I, I was faced with this question, and I was really struggling with it. Um, and then out of the blue, my boss actually comes into the library. He had forgotten something the day before and needed to grab it out of his office. And so I made the decision, you know, I'm going to tell him. This is the right thing to do. I'm going to tell him. And so I tell him, and he turns, he's like, well, okay, thanks for telling me. And he walks out and goes about his day. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know? And so it, it, it's one of those things where the easy thing to do is always the most tempting. The easiest thing to do in a hard situation is always the most tempting. But rarely ever is the easy thing to do the most rewarding. And so I could have avoided telling my boss, but who knows, maybe something did go missing, and then he comes and asks me about it later, and then I would have been in even more trouble because I didn't tell him for a long time, right? And so that's why Jesus wants us to endure patiently. Because when we, when we do something patiently, we tend to make better decisions, right? And that's why... That way, when hardship happens in life, maybe something good will come from it. Maybe your child is going through something. And instead of um, praying that it's just a phase and that it will pass over, you walk them through it and use biblical wisdom to help. And because you did this, it leads them to a stronger relationship with God. Maybe in the midst of financial trouble, you remain faithful in God that he's going to take care of you. And I don't know what that would look like, but no matter what that looks like, you know, and the fact that God will take care of you, it might firm your faith in him. Maybe you notice your coworker is going through something that's putting them in a really foul mood. And instead of avoiding them like the plague, maybe approach them and ask if there's anything you can do to help. 
maybe it doesn't bring them to Christ, but maybe it helps your relationship so the later down you can share your faith. I mean, these are just examples. I don't know exactly what you're going through, what pain or hardship you might have. And unfortunately, until the day that Jesus comes back, pain and hardship are going to be ever-present things in our life. Every day we're going to probably face something hard. And so we have to learn to endure patiently through them. But I firmly believe that if we can learn to do that, if we endure patiently, God can use us in those situations for the gospel to spread. And again, like I said, enduring patiently is not going to be the easy thing to do. But it's what we're called to. It's what Jesus wants us to do. But I think what makes it easier is knowing what you are waiting in line for. You know, early I said that, that the Christians in Philadelphia had to decide if waiting in line was going to be worth it. You know, are the things that you're going to have to do, endure in your every day, on top of the things that we have to endure as Christians, going to be worth it in the end? I can tell you without flinching, absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. To not only live in eternity without pain or suffering, where people no longer hurt each other, where the pains of this world will be no more, but to also have the opportunity to be in perfect unity with God again. Is that, waiting in line, is that worth waiting in line for? There's nothing more worth waiting in line for. That someday our patient endurance will pay off. That we will be at the front of the line face to face with Jesus. Our Savior, the one who died for us, the one who has opened the door for us that no one can shut. Will you pray with me? Dear God, I just thank you for this morning. Um, I want to take this time to pray for, um, to continue prayers for the victims of the hurricanes and to continue for, pray for the families and the victims of the shooting in Las Vegas. The pain in our world runs deep. And it's something that, that probably won't end until you come back. but we have to have faith that in the worst tragedy, there is opportunity for your gospel to spread. That no matter what happens, that no matter who is hurt, who is going through pain, that you will be there, that we can get through it with your strength. That if we endure patiently, we'll be able to make right decisions that, that will make you proud that someday when we get to that front of that line and, and we see you, just like you commended the church in Philadelphia, you will commend us for our patient endurance. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.